Hello, my name is Adam Kaufman, and I'm thankful you're joining us today on the Up To podcast. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a group that I'm grateful for, and that is Town Hall, Cleveland's most popular restaurant, and one that I can say is the only place my wife tells me she can eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Town Hall was the first all-non-GMO restaurant in the U.S. a few years ago, and they're now expanding into Columbus, Ohio soon. I'm also very selective about who we choose to partner with for this podcast, and it was with open arms that I embraced the idea of partnering with Bobby George and Town Hall. To learn more about what they're up to, you can visit townhallohiocity.com. And I think it's intended to talk about just be who you are and the authenticity and, to your point, being approachable. Hi, I'm Adam Kaufman, and you're listening to the Up To Podcast. I've been fortunate throughout my career to be networking and serving and working with some of the most successful and influential leaders in America. Eight years ago, we started Up To as a live event series which showcased leaders who I thought were as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is very important as we identify these leaders who can hopefully inspire others. And over the years, We've interviewed trailblazers from the fields of medicine, from business, from the military, nonprofit leaders, from politics, and more. We really focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives, and we found that there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and their minds in maybe atypical ways. So time and again, attendees of Up To asked us to expand the event so that more people could participate and benefit from the special conversations taking place. And that's why we started this podcast. So I'm so glad you're with us today. With me today is the chairman and CEO of Taylor Morrison, the seventh largest home builder in the U.S., traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Cheryl Palmer leads a company that has revenue of over $4 billion and leading 2,000 employees. I think they closed on over 8,000 homes last year. All of us who have ever bought a home, we think about one house and what a big challenge that is. She's also active in meaningful charitable pursuits. We'll get into that. She's won countless awards in her industry that she won't want to talk about. She's so humble, but it's very impressive. And she's also won some general leadership awards. I know she loves spending time with her family. We'll talk about that too. So I want to say to you, Cheryl, welcome. Well, thanks, Adam. It's such a pleasure to be here. Before we get started, I, I should tell our audience that I know that you had the opportunity recently to interview the President of the United States. <laughs> so do you have any advice for me on interviewing a very powerful, influential person? You know, what he said to me right before we started the interview was, it's my job to make you look good. <laughs> And I thought, wow, I thought it was my job to make him look good. So I want to make sure that we get to have fun with this. Well, it's even easier for you because there's no way to look good for me on a podcast. But maybe we can sound (laughs) Sound good together. That's very fair. Yeah. So let's get right into it. What have you been up to? In my world, I tend to live a lot by the quarters. And we just wrapped up our year end and reported a couple weeks ago our and we bought a company last year, a, a fairly sizable acquisition for us was a public organization. And so we're quite busy integrating the team into Taylor Morrison and taking you know, taking charge of this new, bigger organization. It's been a lot of fun. What's that like having 
quarterly analysis of your professional life. Most of the entrepreneurs I interview are leaders of privately owned businesses, and there are pluses and minuses to private or public. But so isn't that hard to always be under the, the microscope of Wall Street? How, how do you deal with that? You know, it's it's a little bit of a treadmill. I think you and I have talked about this before, and you do feel like you live on that. You know, the treadmill never really slows down. But as far as the public piece, and it was advice I gave to my team right after we went public, and hey, taking the company public was about the most unique experience I've ever had in my professional imagine. career. But you have to have the courage to still do what's right for the business. You know, you do have to report quarterly. There's, when you're you're giving guidance, and so there's a lot of credibility involved. But yes. once you get past that piece of understanding your business, sharing with the street, but if you, if you build trust and through transparency with investors, when things happen, you just have to share them in that same spirit. So... I love talking about the company, so the whole talking about it and sharing our story with investors actually gives me a great deal of pride. It shows. I've seen in preparing your CNBC or Bloomberg appearances, and you're very effusive in your excitement about whatever the current project is or the, the quarter you're talking about. Yeah, there's always something, right? That's the business environment. Certainly, it's, it's ours. And so the public piece... You know, that's just part of what we do. I, mm -hmm. I really try not to let that take control of the way we run the organization, the way we all interact, and doing the right things in the company. And then you report on them. Let's back up a little bit before we delve into the, the home industry, the building industry that you're in. How did you get into this line of work? Did you always think that this is where you would be? I. I do know that you spent some time at everyone's favorite restaurant, uh, McDonald's, at one point. I did. You know, Adam, I did not have this in my big master plan. At some point in my early years, I did my 10-year plan, and I don't even think back then I had it in my kind of professional plan. I actually went to school to be a special education teacher. A teacher, okay. And while I was going to school, I was working at McDonald's to kind of work my way through. And so it's like a local location. Yeah, I mm -hmm. was in San Diego, and then I was asked to be kind of the marketing activities rep, and it was a lot of fun. And I it actually fed uh, the work I was doing at school because I got to do a lot of charity work at the hospitals and stuff. Mm. But ultimately, I wanted to grow. I guess my ambition kind of took over, and I did want to continue to thrive in the business. And so I needed to go to work for an advertising agency to be able to grow through the corporate environment at McDonald's. This marketing business you got a taste of at McDonald's. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, let's do the ad side. And that was completely different. One of my accounts, when I happened to go to the ad side, beyond the, I think I had fast food, I had hotel hospitality. And then one of my accounts became Del Webb Home Corporation, which mm. was, you know, lifestyle communities for 50-plus Wow, I had no idea, and I just loved it. And ultimately, I got asked to come inside and be the marketing manager at Dell Web. And that's when I knew. And then next step was I went into operations, and I became okay. a sales manager, and I really then never looked back. Okay. So you had to be flexible in thinking beyond the advertising or even more specifically the fast food chain industry. And I read somewhere that you feel passionate that people are the CEOs of their own career 
but that you need to be flexible, stay flexible. So you were flexible in this instance. The theme of up to is we like to feature leaders who are as humble as they are successful. And I think flexibility and humility in this instance are similar. Like you weren't so certain that you were going to go down a certain path. No, I wasn't. And I wish I could tell you I had the maturity at that point to really understand the path I was taking. I was absolutely on a path to be a teacher. I loved it, and I loved working with children. I could see you being a teacher. Needs children would. I just had a lot of heart for it. It's still an area I spend a fair amount of time in. Tell me about that. Let's sidetrack. How do you feed that desire of yours? Done a lot of work with Special Olympics. Okay. And once again, it's that. We, you know, everyone thinks you're, when you join and help organizations, I was on the board of Special Olympics, you're doing it for the kids. No, you're actually, they do more for you than you could ever, ever Tim Shriver always them. says that. Oh, that, it's so That true. he gets more out of it than other people do. Yeah. I don't think people can have any idea how they really do feed your soul. It's amazing. So when I started down this path, you just, you know, you, I always said, you just, you take the next opportunity, and if it felt good, why not? I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen is you don't like it, and then you turn the other way. But how do you know until you try? And I was just so blessed in my career where I've had these opportunities. And so, you know, going into real estate and joining Del Webb and then being asked to come and run a new community in Northern California, I don't. I certainly didn't believe I had the the skills or the experience yet, but I could learn along the way. And if you surround yourself with people that, you know, know so much more, I mean, you, you can't know, even as you, you know, lead in different roles, you can't know everything and mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to, but you surround yourself with amazing people well, that's that that's, again, do. your humility coming out, knowing that you don't know everything. Oh, yeah, and you learn. I mean, when I stop learning, pack it up. I have a tremendous level of amount of curiosity. And so, and I've been, I have just worked with such talented people. And then that opens up new doors. Sure. And then you kind of walk through them and you see what's next. And so this whole running a company was never on the bucket list. Running a real estate company certainly wasn't on the bucket list. But I have had the most blessed career. I'm very, very fortunate. And my sense is you still have a lot of good stuff ahead of you as well. Oh, thanks. You mentioned your curiosity. How do you make yourself better? Do you ever think about things you want to improve upon? I always like asking achievers how they get better. Oh, every day. And it's not that I'm not content. Curiosity is is very different. My son just, somebody asked my son the other day to describe me in a word, and he said relentless. And I've mm. spent a lot of time searching, soul-searching on that word, what he really meant on that, because it's not relentless. It's curiosity. It's just craving of more information and getting exposed. Maybe that was relentless about cleaning his bedroom when he was a child or something. I think that's right. I'll have yeah. to tell him. That's <laughs> right. exactly right. <laughs> but no, it's it's... I have this desire to learn from experiences and people. And unfortunately, I probably have a reputation in the organization that, you know, there's always one more question. But there is. That you're asking, you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think I have a saying, oh, can I ask one more? Can I ask you one more question? And there's generally a fairly loud giggle in the room because there's always another because— I just love new information. But I learn from my team every day. You learn from other companies. You learn from the competition. So it's just I have this desire to just 
and I've always been very big in going to leadership courses and things that just expose me to new ideas, new thinking. You and I got to know each other at a conference in Europe together, kind of a non-traditional conference yeah. over in France with a lot of non-U.S. leaders. So I, I know that was an example of exposing yourself, me too, to different thinking Different industries? Very different, especially when you get the international exposure, right? I mean, that was one of the opportunities I had in my career working for a U.K. company that Mm -hmm. owned the private company that I used to work for. Even in the same business, you do things different. So I really enjoyed our time in Chamonix because, once again, different personalities, different experiences. The more you surround yourself with that, the more you learn. I'm a sponge around people like that. And, you know, we still have to filter. We have to decide which we want to bring into our own world, personal or professional. But I love the exposure to new thinking. Mm -hmm. You and me both. You mentioned your team always expecting you to ask another question. (laughs) Your team loves you, though. I was doing some homework, and for our audience, there's an organization called Glassdoor, and Glassdoor surveys 700,000 companies, 700,000. Then they rank the leaders of those companies, and the most current list, 2018, you're in the top 20 highest-ranked CEOs. Just remarkable. You're ahead of the Microsoft CEO, Elon Musk at Tesla. So the team, I I think you know this. They must really think highly of you. You had like 96 percentile approval rate, the average being 69 percent. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, It was such an honor. And, you know, I love the team. And I think it's just about everyone having the permission to be who you are in the organization and the courage to do it. Mm. I can't get enough of all of them. You know, I, I enjoy just going into the field and getting to getting to really understand what's part of their day and the, oper- the challenges they face each day. I don't get to do it near often enough. Have you ever seen Undercover Boss, the TV show? <laughs> this would be a great setting for you. You could put on like a hard hat, maybe glasses or something to look different. <laughs> when we a did worker, our, a Carhartt jacket. <laughs> when we did our IPO, um, my CFO used that example a couple times. He said I could never get away with it because I'm pre- I try to be present. And I can't, you know, we build all over the U.S., so I can't be everywhere. But I do quarterly calls with all of our employees. I do a Shoes Off with Cheryl blog every quarter. Do you think they would feel you're approachable. I haven't had a chance to speak to any of your team members. I bet they would think you're approachable, but a lot of big CEOs aren't approachable. And that's a real shame. If they don't feel I'm approachable, that's that would be a tragedy to me. You know, the hardest thing for me in this job, Adam, has been, I'm still just, I'm Cheryl, and that's who I am. And the day I got the job, it didn't change me, thank goodness. But Again, your humility, it changes a lot of people, the trappings of major CEO life. Well, for me, when that happens, it's time to hang it up. Okay. But what I lose sight of is the, the, what they call the power of the position. And so I just want to be able to go in and talk to people just because, you know, we all get up the same way every morning. You know, you put your shoes on. And, and so I think so, but it's a lot of work. And, to, to, and that's part of my shoes off with Cheryl blog is kind of approachable. This is who I am. Please be who you are, no matter the situation or circumstance. You've mentioned the shoes off a couple times. I know what it is, but for our audience sake, what, what are you referring to? So I don't like shoes. <laughs> okay. And um, so I tend to, they tend to like find their way off my feet most often. And in my office, like they're usually under the table and stuff. 
it was the New York Times who did this article that named, I guess, my style, the shoes off leadership. Okay. And I think it's intended to talk about just be who you are and mm-hmm. the authenticity and, to yep. your point, being approachable. Mm-hmm. And so when you— when you ask, are, do my team members feel, I get pictures of, like, I'll get text messages of people across the country, you know, they'll snap somebody's feet under the desk without their shoes on. And That's awesome. It is awesome because I want them. I send out notes and I encourage anybody and everyone to get back to me. Well, in a weird way, the, the shoes off or that you don't like shoes makes you more relatable. You mentioned you're just Cheryl. Something I was planning on asking you today is I looked up the leaders of the six home builders that are larger than your company. You're the seventh largest, apparently, yep. which is massive. But the other CEOs are named Rick, Larry, David, Ryan, and Jeff. Yep, I know them all. <laughs> no other females on that list. Do you think much about being the only female in this role, or does that not matter to you? I bet a lot of people are admiring you from afar, even if you don't think about it. You know, our industry has been male-dominated, and so I thought about it early on, but I just don't. I've been doing it for so long, and I've been I've become so accustomed to being the female in the room. But for a long time, Adam, if I were to be, you know, really honest about it, I, I we really— We like honesty here, no, though, too. No, and I appreciate that. I, I didn't want to be the female CEO. It wasn't supposed to be about that. I didn't get the job because I was a female. I got right. it because of my skills and my experience. And and I had to get the confidence with that. It wasn't something anybody else did to me. And and now I really have a great deal of pride and joy because of, one, how important it is to get other – to get diversity into our environment because there's just not. It's, it's a sad statement, not just from a gender but from an ethnicity in our – our environment. I mean, I go to conferences, as you can imagine, and I'm not one of the top five. I'm one of the top, period. I am the diversity. So do you try to hire more females then that also have the merit? If you have an equal candidate, male and female, both terrific? It depends. Okay. I mean, I don't think there's ever such thing as an equal candidate, but I would never— I'm not a proponent of, like, this new law in California about, you know, female board members. I, I just don't subscribe. I right. think when you make it about not the skill, you you actually, you know, there's an error there. It's interesting. Our company is 50% female, male. And our lead, our management is a third female. And we have no affinity programs in the company. So I think it goes to your earlier question. The fact that I happen to be a female has given other women the recognition that it can happen. An unintended and, byproduct, a good byproduct of Yeah, we don't have any role. affinity programs, but we don't have any biases. We really hire for talent. And so it's put us in a very different place and I think a competitive advantage to our industry. So it's exciting. And like I said, Stephanie has really got me from running away from it to running to it because it's so important and it's meaningful to young women in their career recognizing this is such a wonderful industry and we need more diversity in it. Speaking of talent, you just mentioned your board. You recently brought on a somewhat high-profile new board member, United States Senator. I did. Are there certain, Senator Jeff Flake, are there certain characteristics you look for in leaders you want to work with or learn from or partner with? 
Yeah, I think everyone brings something to the table. And what's important to me for our board, and I'm very fortunate, this is another area I'm very blessed in. I have a tremendous board with a great deal of diversity and skill. Mm -hmm. So we used to be owned by private equity, and, and when they sold out of their interest in the company, just over a year ago, we really got to, I got to retool our board. So the search for me was about what skills are missing because you don't want people that all think about things the same way, right? right. Mm -hmm. And so we have recently brought on three new members. One of them was very high retail experience and... For our audience and for my sake, do you pick the next board member or is there a nominating committee that beyond nominating picks... In a board, in a public board environment, you have what's called a NOMGov, a Nominating Governance Committee. Okay. So I probably do the legwork because I'm chairman of the board. But then I would never take that on myself. I'd want the opinions of the rest of my board. Yep. And then it would have to be approved through the NOMGov. And then most recently, Jeff Flake, and you think about how highly regulated my industry is, the home building, local municipalities, the mortgage, mm. and to get that kind of knowledge and help navigate Federal lobbying expertise. and federal and mm -hmm. contacts, tremendous. So he just had his first board meeting with us just a couple of weeks ago. So as you can see, very different skills in my. I don't. I have a lot of real estate expertise. That was a new talent you brought in. Yes, yeah. all within the last six months. Very enviable hair he has. I, I he can't does. stop thinking about <laughs> that handsome, handsome former senator and a wonderful man. Hello, up to listeners. Right now, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, a full-service corporate law firm with attorneys throughout Ohio and in Washington, D.C. I'd also like to emphasize how selective we are about organizations with whom we choose to partner for the Up To podcast, and it's with much enthusiasm that we do partner with this law firm that is close to 120 years old. Calfee's mission has been to provide meaningful legal and business counsel to entrepreneurs and investors, private business owners and nonprofits, public corporations. I've referred many successful entrepreneurs and investors to Calfee knowing how well they'd be taken care of. And it's for those reasons that I would encourage you to visit their website, calfee.com. That's C-A-L-F-E-E.com. Thank you very much to Calfee. Taking things more towards like the personal side, you and I have something in common. We both had major health scares in our lives. I know for me, it was only then that I kind of recalibrated what I worried about. And I still worry, of course, but it was a real humbling experience for me to overcome a health challenge. And I've been impressed with how much I've heard you share in the past about how that experience for you changed you a little bit. Yeah, I don't think you can get that close to the unknown and it not. Having said that, I believe I lived life to the fullest. I think that's just been the way I've lived my life and always very live every day and explore and don't let the little stuff get you down. But when I had a brain tumor, as you know, and when you don't know what if there is a tomorrow, mm. I think what the old saying is, if you found out you're going to have a year to live, would you be doing what you're doing? And I had to ask myself that question, and I got through this, thank, thank goodness, God, right? and came back to work six weeks later. And I came back to work because I wanted to come back to work because I love what I do. I love building communities. I love our organization and what we're creating. 
but it, it's a very important reminder of keeping your life in check. Perspective. And, you know, I, I think it's um, Maya Angelou's quote that I probably subscribe to the most. It's, you know, you don't live to survive, you live to thrive. And then how do you do it? And I like to think I do it with passion and fun and energy and some style. Positivity. Yeah. And that's that's what it it was a, a a real significant reminder and you know to embrace the things in your life that are so important and you know I love my company but my family is heart and soul is everything to me and were they involved in this odyssey with you during the process did you Oh, Keep goodness. much of it from them, or you know, I you know, we all make mistakes, and um, I did when I first found out I had the tumor. We didn't know it was an accidental finding, as they called it, and we didn't know if it was anything. And so I had to go find, every three months to have a, another MRI and get it checked. And I didn't tell my kids hmm. until one of those MRIs it doubled in size, and then two weeks later it doubled in size again. And I had to have surgery very, very. I had to make a choice on. How I what, if I was going to have surgery or, or radiation, right. and I didn't tell my kids until it happened, and until the very end when I knew I was I had made a decision to have surgery, and they were adults, and um I don't know that they've ever quite forgiven me for that. I wanted to protect because I didn't know what it meant. I hear you on that, but to speak on behalf of your kids for a minute, like my mother and I don't live in the same city, mm-hmm. and we made a deal with each other once we no longer lived in the same city, to not hide medical problems because we wanted to care for each other, pray for each other, et cetera. And it's a tough deal to live up to because what you just said, you don't want to have your loved ones worry on if they don't need to be. Right. But if you have to tell them, I am going in for surgery, as you saw, you know, you're breaking the deal. And that, that that's um, You're breaking hard. the deal. And I did it with my parents because they're too old. You want to protect them. Right. And the reality— and when you've been through other things with other ones you love, you know how important it is to be there for them. Yes. And I took them, I took that away. Now, let me tell you, they were there and they were by my side and I could like mm. lose it just saying how important it was as sure. they were around my bed before I went in. When you go through something like that, it does create this connection yes. that it's hard to put into words of how strong that love is. Back to the, thanks for sharing, Cheryl, back to your Special Olympics joy. Mm-hmm. When I'm around families with special needs family members, I see how close they all are. And they all say at different times, oh, we wouldn't know anything else or we wouldn't have it any other way. There is this bond that gets created, whether it's a one-time health challenge or a long-term scenario, that uh, there is some silver lining there. I know it was for me with my, my health. I had, I had a blood clot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, life's priorities, right? And then I think it's about how you live your life because, you know, I travel a lot. This is probably just the stupidest example, This is like your fifth city this week. It's only Thursday. (laughs) That's true. And I'll be in one more tomorrow, right? Welcome to Cleveland, Um, by the way. I love it here. Thank you. It's (laughs) great to be here. But, you know, since I spend so much time in airports and, you know— Traveling's not always what people think it is, right. and you have delays. You see how mad people get. Yeah, and at least you have the Up To podcast to listen to. I do. And so I always have something to do, but I look at the little things in life that get people just so upset, and I don't know what that does for your blood pressure. I don't know what know. it does for state of mind, but it's just not worth it. And that's, I mean that so genuinely. It takes a lot to get me really mad. 
You said you were already living a full life before your own health challenge. I wonder why it takes so many of us a big problem to notice that we shouldn't sweat the small stuff. The problem we think could, we're indestructible, right? Yeah, invincible. Sometimes it's a health challenge like we both had. Others, it could be financial or marital, personal. But too often people only change when they've been humbled by something really rocking their world. It's too bad. I try to explain to people and encourage young people, I must be getting old because now a lot of my friends are having me meet with their kids. So I try to explain to them this sort of thing before they have their own big challenge. Is it society pressures? Could be. To be, you know, I think people try to be everything they can be and then how you do that, probably everyone takes a little different approach. But I think there is a lot. I think pressure starts in school. It starts in school and also I think in leadership roles – the old adage, you know, the buck stops here. You know, I'm the boss. I'm I'm the toughest, and we're better than our competitors. I mean, it's it's hard to have some of that, which we're taught to be as leaders. But on the same token, the welcoming, frailty, the authenticity—it's a balance. It is a balance, but you know, you don't ha- you can you can be kind and you can be a leader and you can still make tough decisions. I was going to ask about that. You are like one of the most kind people I know, but you have to lead also a major company with quarterly public demands. Like how do you, do you ever get tough with people or how do you deal with, well, how do these things, how do these character traits coexist? I guess it's interesting. You know, you, you can have a strong point of view and an opinion and not be a jerk. I mean, we actually have what I call—actually, it was one of my, my chief strategy officers. I think he says that there's kind of this unwritten no-jerk rule in the company. Mm-hmm. There's just no reason to ever be nasty. Yet, so many people don't follow that rule. But that's a shame. Mm-hmm. I, I really do because we're all people first, and I think we forget that. And I can have very difficult discussions and very direct, but I can do it in a way that doesn't undress somebody and make them feel less because as a leader in every one-on-one or any team environment, you're trying to help them. Without breaking confidences, is there an example of a tough discussion you had to have with someone and how you how you did that? I think it would be helpful for others to you, hear. You know, one of the things that got said to me one time when I had to let go a leader, and that's about as tough as it gets, right? No one likes doing that. It was a um, leader that I had known a number of years and had worked for me, and she actually traveled, and so she stayed with me in my place, you know, like a week, a month, and for years. Mm. And so there's a, there was a personal and professional relationship, and she's like, wow, for you to do this and we're friends, it really means how much I've disappointed, and you've told me all along, but I just didn't believe it could ever happen. She said that. Yeah, and I actually said that I've, I've, I've probably let you down. Because, you know, the intent is nobody should ever be surprised by a discussion Absolutely. like that, right? Yeah. Usually poor performers aren't surprised, but it's up to us to communicate along the way. And make sure – and they have to be – you can give the information, but they have to be able to take it, right? right? But the whole concept of being able to be very direct and, you know, this – every time you have to do something that difficult, it takes a piece of your gut away. but. 
I would never do anything but try to let her leave with the greatest respect and what she can go do, and maybe this wasn't the right fit. I don't have to break her down personally. And I think in any, I think the one that bothers me the most is when I see leaders feel the need to be nasty to someone in a public environment. And if somebody has made an error or you need to talk to him, I think there's a right way. And I don't think the right way is doing it in front of their peers. Sure. Because they have to recover from that. Absolutely. So I just think it's a style difference. But Do there, unto others as you want done to you. Right. But I think there's confusion that being kind means you can't be tough or you can't. And, and I'd probably add one more thing, Adam, is, you know, my kids used to say to me, it was one thing to have dad mad but it's another thing to have had you disappointed. Mm. And I think there's a little bit of that in the organization, is people don't want to disappoint They don't want to disappoint me. you. Yeah, they're not as worried that I'm going to get up and scream at them because I'm not. I might tell them about how disappointed I am and how they handled something, but I think that's worse than any anger I could ever have. It's weird. <laughs> the, team, the team member in the example you gave, were you able to preserve the relationship? Very much so. Bingo. That's a home run then. Very much so. Great job. Do you ever think about your own legacy? I know you're going to say you don't because you're so <laughs> humble, but people are watching you. Do you think about the impact you're having either directly or through your own day-to-day -day work? Probably most recently as I'm getting up there in years. Mm -hmm. You're right. It's not something I spend a lot of time on, but I think about the company's legacy, and okay. maybe that's the way I would couch it. Keep going. I think about... If we're a company that understands the diversity of thought and the importance of that, then we're changing this industry. So that's one really important thing to me is how do we make sure we have a better, well-rounded company that understands and takes the time about what's right and building to the future, to the consumer today, but always having an eye on what's going to happen five years from now and that we're ready and exploiting that. The other legacy that I, I'm confident our company will lead is changing the consumer proposition, the customer proposition. We just introduced at our last, um, about every two years, we do a management, our top managers, leaders across the organization. It was close to 200 people. And we introduced I love the customer theme. And that's both the internal and the external because you can't you can't begin to service the customer externally if you don't have love and respect, and not, yeah, not in a internal, romantic way, right? Customers for sure, for sure. And if you have to feel good about the respect for each other and the appreciation of everyone's ideas Again, and contributions, yeah. right? And so changing our industry, it's like the most important financial decision most people make in a lifetime, but we're like second to car salesmen. And that needs to change. And I'm culture is hard to change though, excuse me. Like there's it so is. many business books. Every airport I go through, the books that are on display are culture and your company. Because you can't blah, talk blah, blah, it. Blah. You have to walk it. Mm -hmm. It's not something you can talk about. It's something that either it's in the kind of people you bring in. And once again, that no jerk role. I mean So recruiting is one way to huge. affect culture. And what's the TM Cares Fund? Is that affecting culture? Absolutely. It's giving back to our communities. We're community builders and letting our team members give back. I mean, we do it in so many different ways. We have our team members giving to community. We give them money to go 
create community and to help causes. Um, we have funds, TM Cares, for our, our individuals who run into challenges, you know, medical challenges where we financially I, support them. I love that. So an employee could anonymously support another coworker, internal yes. customer, who's going through some curve in the road. Yeah, and do it. And when you grow, it gets harder and harder because the heart of wanting to do for everyone and how do you do it fairly. And so we've started a fund, a foundation. So there's so many different ways. But that no jerk rule, Adam, that's key. Um, I mean, I've heard it called cavemen. I've heard it called, you know, I call it the no brilliant idiots. In many companies, we convince ourselves that their contribution is so significant that even though they're a jerk, we turn the other way. You can't. Well, that's frankly one of the reasons I started this podcast and the whole up to idea first with live events is I want to showcase leaders like you're just describing, leaders who are humble and authentic. We all know leaders who lead by fear and autocracy and pounding the table and where managers fear the big boss. Yeah. I want to lift up other leaders, frankly, like you. I'm not trying to patronize you, so that others will be inspired in their own walk of life, be more like that. People don't work for companies. They work for people. And when you think about discretionary effort, I mean, once again, it's not it's not something you should plan. It's something it's who you are or who you're not. I mean, do you love what the differences that people provide? I mean— People that surround themselves with people like themselves probably can't get there because you might not – I mean, confidence is – courage and confidence, right, is really critical in creating an organization that has different thoughts. The diversity I've tried to bring more into my walk and our mutual friend, Doug Holliday, mm-hmm. has really exposed me to the positive aspects of diversity in a room or on a board or in a conversation – so I try to, frankly, bring more young people around as well. Do you employ many young people? Yeah, I think um, this new millennial workforce is changing corporate mm, America, and right. I think it's changing it for the good. I know it's holding the mirror up to me each and every day. Right. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think 50% of our workforce, wow. it's a really interesting balance of good, experienced, tenured talent and a lot of new talent. And it's really across the organization. When I look even at my leadership team, so, you know, they're running a public company. I have a millennial on my team. Wow, that's impressive. So speaking of millennials, I think about when I was that age. Do you ever think back when you decided to leave San Diego or leave McDonald's, what advice would you give that young Cheryl today, having now gone through a lot in your life? Anything noteworthy you'd want to tell the younger version of yourself? I think it's have, I think it's probably two, have the courage to be okay with exactly who you are. Comfortable with who you are, okay. And not not worry about what others are thinking because I don't think you can go find your best while you're trying to be somebody else. I think it was Father Greg Boyle from Homeboy who said, you know, your own self is such a gift, don't try to be somebody else. That's spectacular. And it is real and because it's hard to find. And then once you're comfortable with that skin, be okay to try new things because what you think, what I thought at 18, and I mean, I don't even think I understood what a public company was. Of course. I just, I mean, I, I didn't understand. Even though my parents probably tried, I, I didn't understand the stuff. I didn't know any of the stuff. Yeah. Why would you? But just being open to new opportunities allowed me to find the thing that gave me the fire 
fire in my belly. And you then were flexible. Once I found it, just, you know, hard work is part of it, but just go after it and just do it. And I think the other part, and we've talked about it, is do it through relationships yes. and be okay. Have the confidence to surround yourself with people so much. My whole team is so much smarter than me. <laughs> they have, they know this business so much better. The imposter syndrome, I, I call that. Yeah, but be okay with it. Sure. I, I'm okay with it. I'm always the least accomplished guy in the room, including this room right now. I know. No? And I love that. I love surrounding myself. And, and, you know, people can open doors, but you all move together, yes. right? And you get to better places. So I think those two things, the curious curiosity, the confidence, and the courage. And I love what you said about being comfortable with who you are. Don't worry about trying to be somebody you're not. Yeah. That's powerful. Well, I'm in the relationship business myself. You're and pretty spectacular at it. I'm grateful that this relationship, it's only about a year old, but we've yeah. gotten to know each other well. And when we were walking uh, on a trail over in Western Europe, and I invited you to come to Cleveland, I actually never thought it would happen, <laughs> not because of you, just because I know how busy you are, that we're thrilled that you were with us today. So thank oh, you so much for being here. Thank you, Adam. And wishing you continued success, both uh, professionally and most importantly, personally. Thank you. Same to you. There's so much to take away from Cheryl's authentic sharing today. These are some of the messages that resonated with me. Being flexible early in your career can be beneficial. Humility includes acknowledging you don't know everything. Therefore, surround yourself with smart people and make sure they know that you're approachable. Volunteering can really feed one's soul. Diversity, especially diversity in age, can benefit work in the decisions being made. Give people on your team the courage and freedom to be who they are as individuals. I'm Adam Kaufman, and I'd like to thank you for joining us on this Up To podcast. Cheryl's interview was our final episode of season number one. So a special thank you to our sponsors who will once again continue with us, and also to all of our listeners, to each of you, We've been downloaded in 25 countries, amazingly, and have had thousands of listeners. Between now and then, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know about a favorite moment or even a favorite episode of our first season. And also, if you have any ideas on potential guests we should consider for up to season number two, you can email me at adam at uptofoundation.org. And while it's so rewarding to hear directly from many of you your positive comments, it's very helpful to us if you could go to iTunes in the rate and review section of the Up To podcast and let others know what you think. Up To is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to our producer, Sarah Wilgrube, the account manager, Connor Standish, and our audio engineer, Eric Kultnow. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman, and thank you so much for listening to the Up To Podcast.